Thursday, February 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser. From Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger. And from Fool.com, our editor in chief, Ryan Richards. We got a packed house, guys. Happy Thursday. All four of us. Happy Glad to be here. Uh, we've got two companies that are in trouble, but we are also going to balance that out by talking about the 25 best companies in America. Uh, but let's start with Groupon, and I believe it was on Tuesday's installment of Investor Beat, our new video show, which if you haven't checked it out, check it out. It's every day on Fool.com at 5 o'clock. Uh, I believe it was on Tuesday that, uh, Jason, you made the comment that uh, you were curious to see what Groupon did for earnings because it was like staring into the sun. You know you shouldn't do it, but you can't look away. So uh, here are some of the highlights of the fourth quarter results for Groupon. They lost $81 million. Uh, They have a forecast of flat sales, shrinking margins, declining cash flow. What's not to hate? What's not to hate indeed? I I mean, it's not terribly surprising. I mean, I think that Groupon's really stuck in a market that – uh, it's it's not just Groupon. I think the daily deal sites in general are really having a tough time. The biggest problem there is that there is no real competitive advantage to any of them, and it's just whether it's Groupon or Living Social. You know, Living Social is private still, but Amazon has invested a decent amount of money in them, and Living Social even just had to raise uh, another $110 million, but they, they lost $650 million in 2012, and so Groupon is essentially following that same lead. The problem is I don't know that Andrew Mason is necessarily recognizing this as quickly. Uh, either that or he's putting, up, he's putting up a very good front on the calls. Uh, they're taking the business in some different directions here, trying to offer uh, goods like the Groupon goods thing, consumer electronics. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, that's just competing. There's no competition that's fair. Not at all. Whatsoever. I mean, you wonder why margins are getting hit because you're competing with the likes of Amazon. And so, uh, you know, this is just another chapter in, in what has just turned out to be a phenomenal train wreck at this point. Uh, shares down around 22% this morning. Um, Matt, when you look at this, just from an investing standpoint, it IPO'd north of $25 a share. Now it's $4 and change. It's, it's, I mean, awful. Is this, a, is this at all a value play? Or do, when you look at the numbers, do you just think, no, I don't care how low it goes? Well, first, you know, it'd be great if Andrew Mason and team just acknowledged the fact that the stock is down some 80% since the IPO. And you wonder why a company like Groupon came public in the first place. I mean, they raised a lot of money and can do a lot of things with that. But the thing I think about Groupon and a lot of these companies is that they really are pioneers. They're trying to create this new market that really didn't exist before. And, you know, Mac, our producer, was telling me before the show, he said, you know, the problem with pioneers is they usually end up with arrows in their back. Uh, And that's kind of what's happening with Groupon, maybe some of the early movers. There probably is something to this daily deal market. I mean, the, the, lo- the idea of localized marketing, localized deal making is powerful. I mean, I, I certainly I get a lot of my news these days from local blogs from my neighborhood, which I think is pretty powerful for finding information and to getting you know, ideas on new restaurants and things. There's a market here, whether Groupon has found it or solved it, probably not. I think the key is it is I you know far far be it for me to tell them exactly how to run their business I don't know the answer. I think that. someone needs to I, though. <laughs> it's possible, but I mean I, I think what they need to do because they are in this position where there there is nothing that separates them really from anyone else. A deal is a deal, and I don't care where I get it from as long as it's a deal, right? And so they need to figure out a way to to grow some type of loyal customer base, a stickier customer base, people that will stay in that Groupon universe. And I don't know if that's something where they they establish deeper relationships with their vendors and and maybe offer some type of a Yelp style of review system for these companies or vendors, uh, if it's something that, that takes that, whatever they can do to take that relationship one step further to separate them from something like a living social, because as it stands now, they're all just really the same. And Brian, 
Andrew Mason, the CEO, he's not going anywhere. He, he has somewhere around 6 or 7% of the shares, but it's a dual-class structure. So from a control standpoint, he, you know, these reports of, well, the board is sort of rumbling, they like a new CEO, that's only going to happen if Andrew Mason wants to no longer be the CEO. And I don't get the sense that, uh, that he has any interest in stepping down. Yeah, I don't get that sense either. And, and my question for them is, should they be a public company anyway? I mean, it seems like uh, they went public in the first place as an exit strategy for their VCs. It's probably harmed their business. Um, Living Social took a big round of new financing last week. Their investors are probably not happy with today with right. Bond's news because they're probably underwater already, given the twenty percent slide. So, you know, I, I I have nothing more to add besides what Jason and Matt have said. I would not invest in these companies myself, but uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, one of the comments I saw on Twitter this morning. Um, was uh, Andrew Mason, maybe what he should have said uh, on the conference call, he should have opened with, okay, first of all, we're Groupon, we're not JCPenney. Um, <laughs> shares of JCPenney down 20% this morning, and there are a lot of numbers to look over in their quarter, Matt, but the one that just leaps out at me, and I had to double-check this to make sure I wasn't seeing things, same-store sales for JCPenney in the fourth quarter were down 32%. Is that a record of some sort? That's that's, that's a lot. Horrific. It's it's epic, epically bad. I I've looked at retail companies for a long time, and I have even even in the depths of two thousand eight, two thousand nine, the recession, you didn't see retail stores producing that kind of a result. I mean that that's just bad. And I was trying to figure out how how they could do worse. You know, short of locking up half their stores and maybe turning J.C. Penney's into torture chambers, I'm not sure how they could wow. have done worse than that. <laughs> that's Thirty two percent. I mean, and you know, the funny thing is maybe not funny. But their overall sales went down 28%, and that was only because there was an extra week of sales. So the, the same store sales never strips that out. So th- it was really awful. What they've done, in my mind, with Ron Johnson, came in, really wanted to try to change JCPenney. What they didn't do was they didn't recognize the customer. They didn't understand the JCPenney customer, which is a really discount-oriented, sales-focused customer. They're trying to do a lot of different things, and they alienated that customer. And you're seeing the results now. It's it's epically bad. It's really pretty amazing, Jason, because you think back to the fall of 2011 when Ron Johnson left Apple to go to JCPenney. And I think at the time, a lot of people in the public markets looked at JCPenney as sort of a struggling retailer. And Johnson's the the guy behind Apple's retail experience. So the thought was, well, wow, if he can, you know, if anyone can turn him around, it's him. And instead, what's happened is the stock price has been cut in half in the time that he's been CEO. And if anything, it's almost like he's accelerating their demise. Right. I think a couple of great lessons to take away from this is number one, uh, with Agman and Pershing Square, it's a great lesson just not to jump on the bandwagon and follow the leader blindly because obviously he's taking a bath here as well. Uh, But the other thing is, think about this is is Bill Ackman. Right. Bill Ackman. Basically. Exactly. Taking a huge stake, and I mean, he he was on uh, he was on one news show one day trying to play their like JC Penny bingo and show these new marketing strategies. It just didn't make any sense at all. But I read somewhere this morning he lost 150 million dollars. It's entirely as a result of of, of JC Penny. Entirely yeah. plausible. Yeah. So whatever you know, I mean, day you're having when you're listening to this, amongst our dozens of listeners, Bill Ackman is having a far worse day. Right. And I mean, that's just we we espouse this all the time. You don't just jump in and follow the leader. Do your own research and come to your own conclusions. But further, I mean, let's think about this for a second. Ron Johnson came from Apple. Okay, I don't know what makes anyone think he was specialized in turnarounds. I mean, it's not like Apple was turning around. I mean, he came from, like, one of the best operators in the world. 
You know, so he came from one end of the spectrum all the way to another in J.C. Penney. And I guess the assumption is maybe that because he was smart enough or good enough to work at Apple, maybe he had some ideas that would help turn J.C. Penney around. But it's not necessarily like he went from one turnaround situation to the next. And I mean, I don't. Again, I don't know that I have the answer for what he should do. I mean, if you look at gl- the gross margins, for example, J.C. Penney, I saw on the call where they were talking about how, yeah, they got their inventory levels all shored up at the end of the year, and now they, you know, inventory levels were back back to square. But the reason why that was because they wrote off a lot of a lot of stuff and then sold everything else at fire sale prices. Their, their gross margins are down like ten percentage points in five years, which is just, I mean, devastating. So, Matt, I'll just turn it back to you because you're someone who studies retail companies. What what turns around a retailer that's in this much trouble. Obviously, you know, to the extent that there is a tiny silver lining, it's that um, Q4 comps are going to be really easy to beat in the next, you know, in the coming fiscal year. But uh, other than that, what what is going to turn around this company? That's right. It's 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 going to be tough. I mean, they've they've got they still have over two billion in net debt. I mean, if they keep putting quarters up like this, um, you know, you, you start to question JCPenney's viability in the long term. Uh, all that said, JCPenney just needs to get back and recognize who their customer is. Um, and if they can do that, and if they can do that in short order and, and kind of recognize what's going to draw those customers back, it's very hard for retailers once they lose them to get customers back. But bring them back in and, you know, figure that out. That, that's really – and, you know, of course, you can look at the stock price and it's down 50%, so you're getting it at a cheap price today, maybe. Um, but really few silver linings I see right here. I have to question their Joe Fresh clothing line. I mean, that, the name that, and that, that, the that's name the name itself. of their clothing line. Joe Fresh. I mean, it, to me, immediately, I get like a picture of a dancing Brussels sprout trying to push like a new line of fresh bagged vegetables. It's Joe Fresh. I mean, that's not what you name a clothing line, right? No, but if you're bird's eye, maybe, you know, you're, you're thinking to, you steal that, you know, for your next frozen vegetable. Well, it candy. could happen. It could happen. <laughs> Um, programming note, uh, next Friday, March 8th, we are having our fifth annual College Investor Day. It's here at Full HQ in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, this is a free event. Um, uh, so if you're a college student or you know a college student who's interested, um, you can come by. We're going to have lunch. You can tour full headquarters, meet with our analysts and advisors. Uh, Friday, March 8th, it starts at 11.30 a.m. And for more information and to sign up, uh, go to our blog, which is just culture.fool.com. That's culture.fool.com. Uh, and Chris will be giving out autographs. I, I, um, up a nice booth. You know what? Steve Broido, our man behind the glass, who is really the star of the Motley Fool Money radio show, he will be, he'll be signing autographs. Uh, for the past several months, we have been compiling data and analyzing more than 1,700 public companies to come up with the Motley Fool's list of the 25 best public companies in America. Um, Brian Richards, uh, I know you and your team have been working on this. What, tell me a little bit about the criteria. I've seen the list, but what's, what's a little bit of the criteria and what are the top three right now? So what we did was we looked at the multi-stakeholder model, so how well a business serves not only its investors, which is something that we obviously focus a lot on, but its employees, its customers, and really the world at large in terms of sustainability. J.C. Penney not on this list. I'm just <clears throat> going to guess right now. Well, it's it's. Uh, I think it might be number 1,700 on the list. Sands. <laughs> And the, the top three, the, the beautiful thing about this list is that it really it highlights a nice blend of old world and new world economies. Um, the, the number one company is actually an engine manufacturer. It's this company called Cummins. Um, they're from Indiana, and they, uh, they're just a tremendous company, and they've served all of their stakeholders really well. Um, rounding out the top three are Teradata, a, another company most people probably haven't heard of. Um, they deal with uh, the, the term big data. They're in that in that uh, sweet spot. And the third the third uh, place company was Colgate Palmolive, which 
I think anybody who brushes their teeth every morning is inter- interacting with those right. products. Um, beating out Google, which came in fourth, and then you know a, a lot of the the, the tech companies, um, the Silicon Valley companies, which have really cultivated that culture of a friendly place to work, trying to do better but in, in the world at large. Um, so you got IBM and Intel and, and some other names. Were there any surprises on the list for you? Um, well, I think Cummins was a big surprise for me. I mean, yeah. We got down to it and, and you know made sure that we counted it again to make sure that the scores added up properly. Um, Cummins is not a company I was f- all that familiar with uh, before we had compiled this list. And uh, the more I read about them, the more impressed I became. Um, I figured it would it was going to be uh, Whole Foods or Google or um, Costco or a company along those lines. A big consumer name, really right. popular with customers, um, big brand. And while uh, Whole Foods and Costco and Google are all on the list, they uh, they're, they're far from the number one spot. One quick stat on Cummins: I, I think they're in the last ten years they're up two thousand percent. Which, wow. And that's actually beating out companies like Amazon. So it's been a really tremendous performer. That's like Coach. I mean, Coach, when they went public uh, in 2000, I mean, if you, investors who held on to those shares to, to date would be more than 1,800% up. So uh, Coach is number 11 on yeah, the list. Coach is number 11 on the list. Um, uh, Starbucks and Whole Foods are both on the list. Uh, I own shares of both of those. But uh, when I hear someone like Matt say, oh, yeah, by the way, Cummins, which happens to be number one on the list, has returned 2,000% you know, over that time frame. That just naturally makes me think, okay, so to what extent should I just like start culling through this list for my next stock buy? Well, I'd say first the, the investor criteria that we were looking for is all backward looking. So we, we're, not, um, we're not necessarily so saying I've out on the next these companies. are the 25 <laughs> stocks to go buy right now. We intentionally use the word company and not stock because yep. we think this is a more holistic look. Um, that being said, first we're testing the h- hypothesis. We've, we've created a, uh, a tracking Caps tracking player um, to see how all of these companies perform from the data publication, which was yesterday, uh, over the next five years. Um, secondly, there's a lot of academic research that shows that companies that are able to uh, satisfy all of their stakeholders outperform the S&P 500, not, not by a little bit, but by a huge margin. So that's true of the Fortune 100 Best Companies to Work For. That's true of the companies that Jim Collins profiled in Good to Great, and that's true of um, this this subset of companies called Firms of Endearment, which um, – I'm sorry, Firms of Endearment? Yeah, I, I, I didn't come up with this. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the companies uh, embody the principles of conscious capitalism, which is uh, a growing movement and one that John Mackey of Whole Foods is on the vanguard of. Um, all three of those indexes have massively outperformed the S&P 500, and intuitively, it makes sense. I mean, if companies are able to keep their customers happy, if they're able to keep their employees motivated and um, collaborative and engaging with their customers, they're going to keep their investors happy. If they're keeping their local communities and the world at large happy, they're going to create new customers. And they're really just leaving a lot of positive feelings. All right. If you want to check out the full list, you can go to fool.com. Uh, at the moment, it's it's uh, occupying the top spot. On or fool25.com. Fool, the number two, the number five.com. Vanity URL. I love it. All right. There you go. Fool25.com. Brian Richards, Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. Thank As you. always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. 
That's it for this edition of Market Forward. Our producer is Matt Career. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Monday.